Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. I am so happy to have Dr. Felice Gersh back on the PCOS Diva podcast. If you are not familiar with Dr. Gersh's work, well, you need to learn more about her because she is a fantastic expert and advocate for women with PCOS. She's a board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and integrative medicine, which is really rare. And one of the reasons I really love her. And she's also the director of the integrative medical group of Irvine. It's a comprehensive women's healthcare practice. And she's the best-selling author of two PCOS books, PCOS SOS and PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. She has been on the PCOS Diva podcast numerous times. Check out episode 144, where we talked about making health changes to make before trying to conceive. And then check out episode 115, where we talk about Um, tips and tricks on managing your PCOS. But today we are going to be talking about menopause and the three stages of menopause and what to expect when you have PCOS as you enter this stage in life. So thank you, Dr. Gersh, for joining me again on the PCOS Diva podcast. Well, I'm so happy to be back. It's been so long and you know, like, like we were talking about, we're all getting older. So we keep moving through these different stages of life, not just menopause. And so most of us are either seeing the horizon of menopause coming up, or we see that we're in it. And so every woman will face menopause. So we all need to learn about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely on the the horizon. Um, and really feel fortunate that I made it through my forties pretty unscathed, um, you know, with, with your advice and the advice of, uh, many other integrative physicians that I'm friends with. I, I feel very fortunate to have you as a resource. Um, but for those that don't have you like on speed dial, um, you do have some great resources, especially your book, 50 things you need to know about menopause. So, I would love for you to kind of walk our listeners through 
those three stages. And um, for women with PCOS, how may that, um, how may in PCOS impact those stages? And then maybe we could talk about some specific um, symptoms of, of um, this, you know, these stages of life, like hot flashes um, that could be sort of troublesome and what to do about it. But let's, let's start with um, that first stage. Well, I made it clear that there are stages because so many women are just put into the, you know, the standard kind of regime of menopause is defined by 12 consecutive months without a period, then you've arrived, you're in, in menopause, right? But it's a process. And that's like the first really important thing to recognize that menopause isn't defined by the moment in time, like you're crossing a finish line. It's really a process of ovarian aging or what we call ovarian senescence with a decline in ovarian hormone production, sort of predictability of hormone production. And that is going to have tremendous ramifications throughout the body, both seen and unseen, felt and unfelt until you, know, you end up in sometimes an end stage of a condition. So recognizing that menopause is a process, then we can understand that there are stages to this process. And so the first stage would be when there's a more rapid decline in ovarian function, and that is previous decade to that so-called finish line, which doesn't really, which is totally arbitrary that you have 12 months without a period. And of course, for women with PCOS, that could be their whole life. You never know <laughs> their reproductive life or, you know, their periods are already so irregular from many decades before menopause and perimenopause and so on, that it's, it makes it even trickier. So of course we know by generalities, that in the US, the average age for menopause, the official definition is at age 50, 51. So in the neighborhood of that. So you can just generalize and say the 40s, the, the decade of the 40s. And, and like there's so much individual variation with this process and also with having PCOS, we know that that's a spectrum, that there's a whole bunch of different um, degrees of severity of PCOS. And the same kind of thing happens when women transition into menopause regarding their symptoms. And so the, the 40s will say, as a general rule, some women will start in their 30s in terms of having symptoms, but we're always losing our ovarian function, kind of like uh, shedding things as we go through our reproductive life. And it kind of parallels the general reproductive status in terms of women tend to be most fertile as a general rule in their 20s, in course, late teens, 20s, and then it declines into their 30s over 35 and really plummets in the 40s. So we'll call the first stage of menopause the perimenopause, and that would be the decade of the 40s. And so during that phase, it's really unpredictable as far as the hormone production kind of like being on an, an estrogen roller coaster where um, sometimes it can be actually very high, sometimes it can be very low because your ovaries are unpredictably producing the estrogen. And so the brain says, hey, I want more estrogen because the brain has sensors. And so it puts out more stimulus to the pituitary, which then can put out more stimulus to the ovaries to make more estrogen. Now. There's been very little research into 
PCOS women in particular and how they deal with perimenopause. So a lot of what I have to say would be my own observations because like you, like everything with PCOS, there's not enough research as right. we know, just unfortunate in that regard. <clears throat> so, but what I see is many of my women with PCOS have a little bit less in terms of the estrogen swings because they don't make estrogen as well from their ovaries in the first mm -hmm. place, but they tend to have in general, and there's so many exceptions, <clears throat> but in general, they tend to have really bad symptoms with a lot of the most common ones that people know about, like night sweats, hot flashes, mood swings, um, sleep problems, brain fog. These are very, very common through all women as they go through perimenopause, not really understood. Many women are put on antidepressants rather than recognizing that this is hormonal changes that are really you know, just part and parcel of the declining ovarian function. And that the, you know, they don't have a deficiency of Prozac and so forth, but, and that has its own set of side effects and problems. So women with PCOS are really an underappreciated group that in general, and, and this is very variable, and hopefully, you know, this is not, has, has not affected you in that way. And it's more with the women with PCOS who tend to be the overweight and obese group because although all women with PCOS have systemic levels of inflammation, that group has the highest level of inflammation. And we know that women who tend to be heavier going into the perimenopause tend in general to have the worst symptoms. And it's kind of like, I call it like your health storage, you know, like how, what's your health status as you're entering this phase and mm -hmm. sort of the worse your health is, the more you're prone to having the worst symptoms. That that's a great um, observation because women, you know, that are listening that, to this podcast that are younger, that really haven't reached that stage. It, it gives you a lot of hope, right? That you, there's so much that you can do now um, with lifestyle change. And a lot of the recommendations that you're making for a lot of these symptoms are kind of what, we should be doing already in our, in our 30, twenties and thirties, eating, um, a, you know, a rich plant based diet, um, you know, taking anti-inflammatories like omega threes, um, curcumin, um, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you're eating a lot of fiber. So it, it, to me, a lot of these recommendations don't really change all that much from, you know, what we should be doing anyway to manage PCOS. Well, that's the, the beauty of lifestyle recommendations is that they are going to hold true. They just may become more like exclamation points as mm -hmm. you get, as you get older and your needs even become more apparent that you don't have that reserve to fall back on, you know, that, well, I can cheat here and there or everywhere. No, that isn't going to work for you as you're going through the perimenopause. And what is really, um, real, what I consider it wonderful news is that there was a study published just in the past year that showed that women who ate a lot of the phytoestrogens, in this case, they were utilizing organic whole soy products like edamame, that mm -hmm. in 12 weeks, when they ate like a cup of, of edamame, that their hot flashes, which were pretty significant in this group, 
of women that these were not PCOS women because they don't study PCOS women, mm -hmm. but in the in a, in this perimenopausal group of women and early early menopause that their hot flash is just about completely resolved by 12 weeks when they ate the phytoestrogen food. So, um, and then of course, soy is the most famous one for its isoflavone, uh, the polyphenols that's in it. And then flax seeds, which have lignans, which are also a great source of the of phytoestrogens. And phytoestrogens are plants, you know, plant components. I call them the special sauce, so that they, the polyphenols that actually have molecules that bind to our own estrogen receptors. In this case, they're the special type called beta receptors, which are part of the, the gut lining, have a lot of these beta receptors and they calm down the gut. So it's amazing what we can do with food. That's, you know, that old, uh, it sounds so cliche, you know, food as medicine is, is, is a cliche that's true. So it, it, can, it can have dramatic benefits for, for women with PCOS. And a lot of the symptoms that we associate with PCOS often blend into the menopausal time. And that's why for many years, which drove me crazy, there's so many things that do drive us crazy when we're dealing with PCOS as um, a group of, you know, of healthcare providers, is that for so long, the medical establishment said, women with PCOS when they hit menopause are no different from any other group of women, which of course made no sense because women with PCOS in general tend to have a couple of strikes against them because of their metabolic malfunctions in their body, like having more insulin resistance, um, having more inflammation, more gut problems and so forth, more, you know, just generally every system in the body being more inflamed when they hit every stage of life after they become really sort of exacerbated with their condition after puberty. And so why would they get better when they hit menopause when that is the time when women tend to become generally more insulin resistant, more inflamed, more hypertension starts to develop and so forth. And now of course the truth is told, of course they're not better off or average. They actually go in already sort of, um, sort of handicapped in terms of their metabolic health. So, you know, emphasizing, as you just did, that every woman with PCOS, every woman in general, is going to take a metabolic hit when they hit the perimenopause, but women with PCOS more so. So they really need to be just vigilant about lifestyle choices through every stage, for every decade. It's like planning for osteoporosis, yeah, when, like when you're 70. It's like, uh, well we could have done a lot better than we, you know, if we don't think about the status of our bone health until we're 70, you know, these are things that you have to plan ahead for, like saving for a rainy day. You know, we, we got, we, that rainy day of menopause is definitely coming your, your way, ladies, I can guarantee it. So definitely start doing everything to have metabolic reserve. And so when we talk about metabolism, that's the big problem that underlies everything with PCOS is metabolic dysfunction. So metabolism is the creation, the storage, the utilization of energy. And everything in the body is about energy. And that involves you know, intake of energy, AKA eating food, right? And utilization where you have your metabolic rate, you know, how you burn the energy in the terms of glucose and fats 
to create the energy that every cell needs to carry on all its functions and so forth. And women with PCOS don't do that as well. They're very good at storing fat. They're just not as good at burning fat. And so we all need to just be cognizant of that and recognize that when we hit menopause, it's going to be an extra metabolic burden on us. And so we just have to be prepared and do, do more. You know, there are people in life who just have to work harder, you know, mm -hmm. for so many things like people who are born and then they have dyslexia, you know, mm -hmm. or they have some genetic disease that they have to just deal with and so forth. So we PCOS women, we just have, you know, this little extra deal that we have to work with where we have to work harder to maintain our metabolic health and never in life are we as challenged as when we go through the menopausal transition, except when we go through pregnancy, because those are two of the ultimate stress tests for women's metabolic health. That's why women with PCOS tend to have much higher rates of pregnancy-related complications, because they're kind of on the edge with their metabolic health, and pregnancy is a real stress test of women's metabolic health, and so is menopause. But unlike pregnancy, which ends, menopause, <clears throat> menopause is for the rest of your life. So coming from perimenopause <clears throat> into menopause, where, as you said, it, that's like an, a, a year after you've um, had absent periods. I was curious, is there any data that shows that women actually with PCOS enter menopause later uh, because of the fact that um, a lot of us, I know myself included, were not in, in my you know 20s and 30s ovulating every month. So now that I'm um, you know, got my PCOS under control and through perimenopause, I cycled on a regular basis and now I still am 50 and I'm still having regular cycles with no end in sight. Um, will potentially I enter menopause at a later date because of the maybe res ovarian reserves because they didn't, uh, I didn't cycle as much at a younger age? Um, no, <laughs> that's okay. a great question. But I think that what it, when you go through the ultimate menopause, the definition, like you just said, and your periods completely stop has a fair amount to do with your genetics for, you know, that what happened with your mother and also your grandmother, because what happened when your mother was a fetus affects what happens when she makes you. I mean, it's just an amazing situation because, you know, a woman's eggs are forming when she's a fetus and the environment that's within the uterus that she's developing in actually affects how her ovaries develop. And then that affects, you know, two generations or so down the line. So there's a lot that comes into play with mm -hmm. the exact age. The other is your underlying metabolic health, which, you know, incorporates really all aspects of health, really. So if you went through life, and you were exposed to a lot of endocrine disruptors, like pesticides, plastic, flame retardants, and so on. Or if you spent a good part of your life, as uh, I did, where you were working what we call like shift work, 
you know, shift work is like where you're working in the middle of the night, <laughs> you know, like I did. I did so many deliveries for 25 years. And a lot of that was in the middle of the night. And then I worked the next day and so on. And about a quarter of women do night work, you know, where they're, they're working late into the night or they're working all through the night. And that really disrupts the essential circadian rhythms. And the ovaries have tremendous circadian rhythms and they have receptors to melatonin, which is a potent antioxidant. And it helps to keep inflammation down in the ovaries and keeps the ovaries functioning well. So what you're born with in terms of how many viable good eggs you're born with, and then what you do with them and how those eggs age and so on has a lot to do with you know, your own lifestyle, as well as the lifestyle and issues of facing your mother, your grandmother and, and so on. And in general, this whole, so every woman is different, just like every woman with PCOS has such a variation. But in general, if a woman through her life had, like I said, a lot of endocrine disruptors in her body, and we know that women with PCOS tend to be a little bit less, the, the worst, mo most severe, severe cases of PCOS, have some issues with detoxification, just sort of like we call them single nucleotide polymorphisms as SNPs, where they're not as good at doing some of these processes to eliminate toxins, both made in their body and from outside sources to get rid of them. They're not as good at doing that. They bioaccumulate more chemicals like women with PCOS have more BPA that's mm -hmm. like from hard plastics in, in their bodies. And um, the exposure that they may have had in utero, which affects how the eggs actually develop and their long-term viability. And then the nutritional status of the woman, like I said, her circadian rhythm disruptors, like if she's up all night and not getting enough sleep, her stress levels through life, all of these things actually take a toll on her ovarian reserve status and will determine like when she actually does go through menopause. And women with PCOS have a lot of those negative things in general, like more inflammation, which affects the ovaries. And an inflamed ovary is going to have more damage to their eggs and egg quality. And so it never made sense that women as a group with PCOS would have a delayed onset of their um, menopause because we know that the more inflamed or unhealthy the ovaries are, the more likely they're going to go through an earlier type of a menopause. So it's the later you go through menopause, and I mean real menopause, sometimes women with PCOS, and this is where I think this came from, okay? Because in general, in the conventional world, they say, oh, women with PCOS have delayed onset of, of, of menopause because they have these high anti-Mullerian hormone levels, um, AMH. And that is really just a function of poor ovulation and accumulation of lots of those little follicles that give the ovaries that special look on ultrasound that the name came from, you know, polycystic mm -hmm. ovaries. So that doesn't mean that their eggs are viable, that there's more of them, that they're just never, the, the little follicles are never resolving. So they keep putting out that hormone. But the, so they're using that hormone as an indicator that isn't really justified in terms of women with PCOS. But um, the reason I think that that myth came out that women as a general group with PCOS have a delayed or later onset of menopause 
is because a lot, remember the official definition of menopause is 12 months without a spontaneous period. Uh-oh, well, they just call that bleeding, okay? A period means you, a real period, means that you have a cycle with an ovulation where the egg comes out. That's like a real cycle where you have this hormonal rhythm where you make estrogen, it goes according to the rhythm, it spikes, you ovulate, you then make progesterone, you're not pregnant, all the levels of estrogen, progesterone come down, and then you have a bleed that we call a menstrual cycle bleed, period, okay? But women with PCOS in general have a lot of inflammation and inflammation, and they also have a lot of visceral fat, like body fat that is very inflamed. And that type of situation causes women to make estrogen in their body, in their fat tissue. They call that through the process of aromatization. That's the enzyme that converts androgens, like those male type hormones that women with PCOS tend to have too much of because of all these dysfunctions. And they have more of these androgens, but all women have androgens. And then what happens is that when you have a lot of inflammation in the body, it upregulates or stimulates this enzyme to become more active. And it converts more of these androgens into estrogen, but not the, the good estrogen, the estradiol that the ovaries make, but rather estrone. And estrone is mm -hmm. a type. So estrogens are a family of hormones and there's different types. And estrone only works on one type of estrogen receptor. And it, it actually is more pro, it's like more pro-inflammatory. So estrogen balances all of the immune cells of the body to both induce and then to stop the inflammatory process. So it's a modulator or a regulator of the whole process of inflammation. But when you don't have the right estrogen and you end up having a lot of adipose tissue or fat tissue, you have inflammation, your body upregulates the production of this, we'll call it negative version of estrogen. And that causes the uterine lining to grow in an uncontrolled proliferation, like with you know, growth. And then it can just get so thickened, it just sheds out, it just falls. It's not like a normal cycle, a normal cleansing. It's just like a tower of blocks, it gets too high and it just falls over. So women with um, PCOS tend to have all of this going on and it gets worsened as they go through the perimenopause and into menopause because it actually aggravates inflammation and dysbiosis, the abnormal microbial population of their gut. And they get even more inflammation, more fat tissue deposited and they are burning fat even less well. So they're just good at making fat, not good at burning fat. And they have all of this upregulated aromatase and they have higher levels of this estrone in their body, stimulating the uterine lining, causing this abnormal bleeding. And so without thinking, what is the process? Why are they bleeding? It's they're, they're being labeled, well, they're not in menopause because they're still having this random irregular bleeding. They don't meet the official definition of 12 months without a spontaneous bleed, which it is, you know, so you don't go with, um, you know, you don't have a period so-called, but it's not really a period, it's just bleeding. Um, for 12 months, you're labeled menopausal. These women are having random bleeding. And that is actually a risky situation for developing uterine cancer and adenocarcinoma of the endometrium, the uterine lining, which is increased in women with PCOS. Those women need to be ultrasounded and biopsied to make sure that they don't have 
you know, developing or actually have uterine cancer. So I really think that that's where that misnomer came from that women with PCOS have a delayed onset of menopause because it doesn't make sense from a functional point of view because their ovaries are more inflamed, they have more infertility, their egg quality is down and their egg number is down because their eggs are not in good shape and they disintegrate more readily. So I, but women like you, I mean, you're like, the PCOS gold standard, honestly, you know, who have done everything right. That's, that's the whole point of why we talk about this, right? So that every woman knows that within her control is a lot, that by mm -hmm. making the right lifestyle choices at every stage of life, wherever you are at this point, that you can actually mold your future into a better future so that you can have you know, functioning ovaries as long as possible, good functioning ovaries, that you don't have all this excessive adipose tissue that's so inflamed and creates all of this extra problem for women by producing this unwanted type of estrogen that actually promotes um, a lot of different problems because you mm -hmm. need to have estrogen in the body and that we can talk about that, but you don't want that type, you know? It's like, um, there's just different types of estrogens and you want the type that comes from the ovaries, not from, that's made from fat tissue, mm -hmm. okay? That's not the kind we want. Um, and th that is excessive and it promotes, you know, uterine cancer and random bleeding that has been misinterpreted as a late onset of a period, but really what it is, is a sign of metabolic dysfunction. That's why they actually have this sort of craziness where they'll have actually saying, women who have a late onset of their menopause are more prone to, and then like name anything bad. And it's like, how can that be? How can it be that mm -hmm. if you have what all these, like your ovaries are still working and you're having all of these balanced hormones for longer in your life, you're going to be worse off how could that be? That's because they're mixing apples and oranges like they always do. And they, they're looking at women with metabolic dysfunction, excessive inflammation, excessive adipose tissue that are making this unfortunate, unwanted, excessive amount of estrone that then um, is not only causing problems, but also indicative of underlying problems because it's the women who already have metabolic dysfunction that are producing all that excessive estrone. And so they're linking that all into thinking that these are women having a natural late period when really what they are, are just completely metabolically dysfunctional and they're labeling it, misinterpreting the entire thing. That, that is such an interesting explanation. Thank you for that. I, I do think it, like what you're describing can sound very scary <laughs> for those that you know, are, are maybe experiencing that, um, or, you know, they, they know their mother experienced, um, those type of, you know, quote, like false periods, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good um, way to label them false periods, phony uh, baloney periods. Yeah. So, but we both know that there's so much like within your control, um, changes. And that's the hopeful part, as you mentioned, I know in your book, you wrote, when you understand what's happening, you can choose how to respond. And in many cases, just some extra attention to diet, exercise, sleep, and stress management can greatly reduce symptoms and improve health. Um, hormonal therapy is also beneficial. Um, so I was wondering if you can give listeners a little hope, like what 
what can they do? Give us some tips on, you know, kind of taking back control over, you know, that metabolic storm that may be happening. Oh, absolutely. Actually, when I wrote the book, you know, menopause 50 things you need to know, I thought, oh my gosh, I hope this doesn't like get women depressed because Mm -hmm. it's 50 things that you don't want. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but every, every little blip, you know, every little section has, okay, what are you going to do about it? Right. So absolutely. This isn't like we're doomed. We are destined to go through menopause, but we're not doomed to this horrible fate that we're good. I mean, I've been in, I unfortunately was one of the women, like I said, I had circadian rhythm dysfunction doing all those deliveries Mm -hmm. and, um, and whatnot. And um, so I had a crazy early um, menopause at age 43. So, um, which is like almost a decade too soon. And so thank goodness, you know, I was lucky that I knew enough to, to know what to do to how to deal with it. And so I wanted to, you know, definitely share that whatever age you're going through perimenopause or the ultimate definition of menopause, we need to take back control. Absolutely. So lifestyle first. So this is how I look at health. It's like keeping together a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. And I don't know if you've ever put them together, but every time you take it out of the box, at least in my house, there's always another piece missing. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) where, where did that little piece go? Is it under the, you know, the cushion on the sofa or whatever it's gone. It's like the socks in the dryer, whatever. It's like, can't figure it out. And that's like in life, we just kind of keep losing our little pieces of our thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. So I think of hormones as the center 400 pieces, but lifestyle is the 600 surrounding pieces. And if you ever put a jigsaw puzzle together, you always start with the flat edges, right? And the corner pieces. So you create the frame of the jigsaw puzzle, Mm -hmm. right? So by looking for the flat end so that you can create the frame. And that's the beginning of the foundation of health, which is the lifestyle part. So, you know, that's the thing. You've got to have that lifestyle. So that's incorporating the nutritional status. And we also know that it's not just what you eat. Of course, it's what you don't eat. And it's also when you eat. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot more complicated than we ever thought. So you want to eat, like you started out saying, um, food from the earth, what we say, farm to table, skip the middleman. The only food that you should ever have that came from a factory is what we would call minimally processed. For example, say you don't really want to make your own pickles or you don't want to make ketchup or mustard, you know, and you can buy those as just organic pickles, mustard, ketchup. And you can also, you know, say you don't want to make stewed tomatoes because you're so busy. Well, you can buy a jar of stewed tomatoes and you look at the label and it just says ingredients, organic tomatoes and maybe some spices, right? So that's minimally processed. What you don't want is things that look completely different from the way they came out of the earth or from the, from yeah. the you know, nature. So you want to do the farm to table as much as possible. Try to shop farmers markets in season, buy in season, buy locally produced and as much as you can, as much as possible and what's economically doable to buy organic because like I mentioned, a lot of women, like no one wants chemicals, excessive chemicals in their body. And women with PCOS tend to be more sensitive to that as a a group because they don't tend to get rid of them. They tend to hold on to them, which is really harmful in a million ways. And so you want to avoid toxins and, you know, pollution, get air purifiers, water purifiers, 
eat the best food, eat whole food, and try to push your food into the earlier part of the day. You know, try not to snack all day, try not to eat late at night because that messes with our metabolic function. Try to eat like say three meals a day, you know, and, and try to be the same times every day and try to have like three hours from dinner to going to bed and try to have a reasonable, healthy breakfast when you, if you can, within a couple of hours of getting up, those would be goals and not everyone's going to be able to do everything every day, but to try that is, you know, goals are what you aspire to, right? So you do the best you can. And then fitness is a vital sign. So being fit is really important for everyone and especially women with PCOS. So find things you love to do that will keep your body moving. So there's what we call movement. That's where you like walk and you just move around. And then there's actually exercise where you actually sweat, get your heart rate up and you know try to incorporate both. And we don't want people to be injured. So if you have problems with your joints, as many women with PCOS have, then you, know, you wanna work at least short-term with a qualified trainer and really know what you're doing. We don't want, um, I have friends who, decided they were going to get fit and they went out jogging, not even thinking about the condition of their knees and, and, you know, tore a meniscus on their first run. So oh don't do this. we don't want that <laughs> happening. Okay. So, you know, definitely, you know, some, it's good to get professional advice in the beginning to create a good exercise program for you, but it has to be fun. And because nobody's going to do things they don't like indefinitely. So there are ways to have all kinds of fun. I know half of my patients now are taking a pickleball. It's like, they're having so much fun with that. So, you know, find something that you can do that's sociable. And, and that's another thing, you know, we, everyone needs to have love and purpose and fun mm -hmm. in their lives and laughing. And it's been so challenging these last uh, couple of, of years and doesn't look like there's always, you know, everything looking great even right now. But, you know, we've got to look for the, the good and the light and see the sun. And, and, and that's another thing to see the sun, get out, don't be in the dark all the time. So many people work and they never see the light of day. And so you want to get sunlight. Sunlight is the happy medicine and it's in, increases your production of serotonin through light receptors in your eye. And that's an, a neurotransmitter that makes you feel happy and peaceful. And from that comes melatonin. And from there you can sleep better and it's melatonin helps regulate glucose and it's an antioxidant, but you can't make it if you don't make serotonin. So you need to get sunlight and see the sunset. It helps to uh, lower your cortisol. So you'll sleep better um, at night and sleep is a, such a problem for women with PCOS. And as women go through menopause, they have more sleep apnea. So that should be tested um, in many, many women with PCOS and women in general. So we've got to work on sleep quality. So you can see that there's so much that you can do with lifestyle that's going to have a tremendous impact on all aspects of health. And then I'm a big advocate for doing hormone therapy, but you know that's like the 400, that's part of the 400 internal puzzle pieces. And it just happens that estrogen and all the hormones in the body have a major interactivity with each other. So like when you have low estrogen, you're going to have lower thyroid functionality. The receptors for the thyroid hormone actually function better in the presence of estrogen, but not just any estrogen, estradiol. So that's what should be replaced through the skin if you do hormone therapy is to get an estrogen 
therapy, either a gel, a cream, or a patch that goes through the skin, not through a pill, because when you take it as a pill, it goes in through the digestion system and ends up in your bloodstream as estrone, the estrogen that we don't want to have a ton of because that is not a balanced estrogen and is more pro-inflammatory. So we want to get our estradiol through our skin. And, and so that will help to regulate our immune system and help it to go um, the right path and not become more ultra inflamed. We don't want it to have more inflammation. It also helps keep the gut microbiome, which, you know, that's been talked about so much. It helps to keep that on track. There's estradiol receptors on all the lining cells in the intestinal tract, like all parts of the body have estradiol receptors, including the intestinal tract. And that is such a key player in all women and particularly women with PCOS. So I'm a big advocate for using hormones, but there are some contraindications. Of course, that's a prescription and you wanna make sure that it's what you want. You know, everything's a choice. Menopause is not a choice. It will happen. <laughs> and, uh, and menopause is what it is. It's the end of reproductive functions. It's also the end of your hormonal um, production of estradiol and progesterone from the ovaries. And these hormones are not just about reproduction. They're about regulating all the metabolic functions of the body, which is basically the body itself, everything in the body to coordinate reproduction with overall function of every organ system, because everything in the body has to be coordinated for everything to work properly. And so it all kind of goes um, south, but there, but that doesn't mean that we don't have options to live long, wonderful, productive lives. I mean, certainly that's my goal for myself and for every one of my patients. And it is attainable. We can live long lives that are filled with joy and health. We call that healthy longevity. By, but it takes work. I mean, none of this is going to happen. Like yes. It's not spontaneous combustion in any sense. Like we've got to work hard. We have to decide that health matters and it's a priority. And we have to decide that at every stage of life and no more importantly than when, if we're trying to become fertile, more fertile and have a baby and a healthy pregnancy. And similarly at that other really challenging stage of life, when we transition into the menopause and we need to be ever vigilant about our choices. That, that is such a perfect sentiment. Um, you know, I think I just want to reiterate that there is no magic pill for PCOS, no matter what stage you're at, uh, that you yourself and the choices you make, that is the magic pill. Um, and I also just want to so draw attention to two um, articles. You, I know you promised that you're going to write a, I, an I article <laughs> for me that goes more in depth on hormone replacement therapy at this stage in life. So we will have a link to in the show notes to that. There's also a link to uh, an article that you wrote about progesterone hormone replacement, um, you know, in, in kind of the earlier uh, reproductive years um, of PCOS. And then something that, uh, you know, I, we didn't really get into on today's podcast, but you do have uh, an article that you wrote for me um, about hysterectomy and PCOS and how that really isn't 
a solution um, to PCOS after your productive reproductive years are over. Maybe you can just briefly mention that and how that fits into sort of this menopause conversation. Well, sure. So, so often um, female organs are just willy-nilly removed without really a good reason. Now there, there are reasons if somebody has uh, cancer, that's a certainly the best reason to remove um, an organ, but malfunction is really not typically a good reason. So if you're, when we think about it over and over, the menstrual cycle is a vital sign of female health. So if the menstrual cycle is indicative of, well, if a woman is having beautiful regular cycles, that's a sign of fertility. Once again, fertility is a vital sign of health. Well, as women go through the perimenopause and thereafter, her periods will become naturally more irregular and unpredictable. And women with PCOS, because they don't ovulate predictably from the earlier reproductive years, they tend to have more bleeding irregularities, bleeding problems. And you want to sort of try to, the goal should be to balance the hormones because it's a sign. If you look at bleeding problems, as not just, well, it's a problem if you're bleeding, but it's a sign. Everything, I look at everything on multiple levels. It's a sign that there's metabolic dysfunction, that there are problems with the way the body is actually functioning. So if you simply shut down the ovaries, like birth control pills, if you remove the organs so you don't actually see the manifestation of the, the problem, then you think you solved the problem. But what you are is like whitewashing the problem because the problem is still there and you haven't like given the woman what she needs, which would be maybe she, she probably needs some progesterone because she's making too much of that abnormal estrone because she's inflamed. And what she needs is to work on getting her inflammation down, her adipose tissue down and getting her rhythms right and all the nutrients right because Many women with PCOS and women who are overweight, which many women with PCOS are, they will have nutritional deficiencies as well, which will manifest as malfunction of their cycles and, and cellular function in general. So you're not addressing the underlying problems. Right. You just simply, if you take out organs because they're not seeming to like function right because they're not having the proper stimulus from the, the other systems of the body because they're malfunctioning, you're not addressing the underlying problem. So we, like myself in functional medicine, integrative medicine, we're always like, let's get to the root of the problem to solve the problem, not just whitewash it by taking out organs that are the recipients <laughs> of the wrong signals, right? Or they're, you know, they're, so we don't wanna just take out organs unless we really have to, because they have like some really serious growth tumor, cancer, or Rather, what we should do is see the malfunction as a sign of other underlying issues and then address them. And then what we'll, we'll do is save people from having surgeries that every single surgery has inherent risk, including death, including hemorrhage, infection, injury to neighboring organs, and so on. I deal with this all the time as a, you know, having done thousands of surgeries and having to do what we call informed consent, where you have to tell people, even though the risks are not going to likely be suffered by you, you know, they're still out there, you know, and you don't want to take any risk for no good reason if you have, a, and you're not even addressing the underlying problem. So any woman who's told, get your female organs out, 
just at least get a second or third opinion unless it's clearly cancer. Because you know, if you really have um, invasive cancer, then you need to get a really good you know, gynecological surgeon and, and deal with the problem in every which way that you can. But short of cancer, please get other opinions because maybe surgery is not the solution to your problem at all. Okay, thank you for that explanation. And before I let you go, I promised that you'd give us your remedies for hot flashes um, oh, <laughs> in the sure. beginning. So let's talk oh, about that. Yes. Yeah. So other okay, the number one best treatment for hot flashes is estradiol. That is a fact. Okay. That said, you can do certain many lifestyle things that do help. So we know that women who exercise regularly have lower levels of hot flashes. Women who eat significant amounts, as I mentioned, of the phytoestrogen foods. So like organic whole soy, not processed soy, that soy is pretending to be like turkey or something, you know, that's faux food, <laughs> not, not faux food uh, soy, but soy not masquerading as something else, just organic whole soy, um, adding in a couple of tablespoons of ground flax seeds every day. Those are actually amazing. Doing um, mind-body medicine has been really helpful for so many because the hot flashes, um, the manifestations are part of a dysregulated autonomic nervous system. That's like the neurological system that we don't think about that happens automatically for us. But interestingly, mind-body medicine, like listening to guided imageries, meditation, progressive relaxation, things like tapping, there's a variety of different mind-body techniques and, and acupuncture actually mm -hmm. also fits into that category. Mm -hmm. Even um, massage therapy can fit into that category um, that they actually can have major benefits for these um, dysregulations that occur that manifest as night sweats and hot flashes. And so that is also very, very good. And so, and then once again, there's also some supplements that are predominantly phytoestrogen based like Siberian rhubarb and lignans that once again, that's what flats, but you can actually not just eat the foods that carry these polyphenols, but you can also have supplements that concentrate these polyphenols. But unfortunately, things like black cohosh haven't really panned out as well as I wish, but you can still try them. But the, this, the data hasn't been that overwhelmingly positive for black cohosh. That's why I prefer um, actually the Siberian, the root of the Siberian rhubarb plant. And um, you can, and that um, is a product that is called Estrovera that's made by a company called Metagenics. And then I have one that has lignans. It also has some like ashwagandha because it's an adrenal adaptogen that is very mood calming and so on. And I designed one product that's called Menovive and that's by Pure Encapsulations. And that has a blend of these different ingredients that is also very, very good for um, both mood and um, hot flashes. So these are Ooh, combinations. That sounds nice. Yeah. yeah uh, so we'll, yeah. we'll I will post though that link to the um, pure encapsulations product and, you know, in the show notes. Um, and I just wanted to give you another shout out for your book, PCOS SOS. It's really a, a wonderful lifestyle guide. Um, I love, uh, you know, Dr. Gersh, you were really the first one out there to be talking about regulating your circadian rhythm 
to help with PCOS and your book talks a lot about the, the PCOS SOS talks a lot about that. Um, and then I, I will post a link to your book, um, the menopause 50 things you should know, because you have lots of other tips, um, in there. It's, it's just a very easy digestible kind of like a little pocket guide. Uh-huh. Um, I, I love the format. Um, and you know, just lots of different, you know, nail texture, um, you know, hair yeah, right. uh, loss, um, heart palpitations, you know, you kind yeah, it's of, like a, yeah. like a mini, a mini encyclopedia. Exactly. <laughs> it's very right. easy, easy to read. Um, if you want something more in depth, definitely pick up PCOS SOS. Um, and thank you. I, yeah, I love, I love when you come on to the podcast, you're just such a wealth of knowledge. Um, any other PCOS related things that you're doing right now? Um, well, I'm looking at starting, well, I'm not the starter, you know, but the, the project uh, research is, um, they're getting it started where they're going to be researching more therapeutic modalities for women who have more of the adrenal component of PCOS. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at being part of that study. So that's exciting. Uh, Yeah. And that's another kind of, you know, underserved population of, uh, I mean, I guess all PCOS is underserved, Um, but the, the focus tends to be on that classic insulin resistance driven. So I'm glad to hear that there's going to be some focus on adrenal, the adrenal well, androgen. Anytime there's any research, it's like, hooray, hooray. Yeah, I yeah. know. So, but, um, and I'm also trying, I keep pushing it um, to get some research going on utilizing fasting mimicking diets mm-hmm. with um, women who are both like in menopause, women in general, women with PCOS, women because all the studies are either predominantly male or blended and, and they don't really break it out versus male mm-hmm. versus female. And we know women are not the same as men. Come on, yeah. you guys. We got to do research that's female oriented, directed at women, because we respond differently to so many different things. And, mm-hmm. um, and women with PCOS especially have to get more um, data collection on how to best deal with so many different aspects of their health. So I'm working on it, guys. I'm uh, trying to get trying to get more research. Well, thank you for all of your efforts and, you know, advocating and being our voice out there in the, the medical community. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, and thanks again for coming on the podcast. And thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to being with you again very soon. that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health.